0: Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, October 29th, and today we are reading from the big book, um, and we are at page 151, the last paragraph which begins... um, now and then a serious drinker. Um, today's readers are uh, Amy W for the Twelve Steps and S for the Twelve Traditions, Do Julie, Devorah, and Paula. Um, the reference number for yesterday, uh, Monday, october twenty eighth, is five three. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issue. This meeting's um, primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry the message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our fifth
1: Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice
0: these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. And I will now ask Ann S. to read the 12 traditions.
2: Uh, Hi, good morning. This is Ann S. from Pennsylvania, compulsive overeater, the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, finance or lend the LA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every LA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, of Readers Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, LA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees. Directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, a reader's anonymous has no opinion on outside issues; hence, the O.A. name will never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction, rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass.
0: Thank you, Anne S. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing about the directions to the big book and what it means to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page uh, 151, the third paragraph down, which begins, now and then, a serious, and so on. Um, I will ask, um, let's see, do to get us started this morning. Thank you.
3: Good morning. It's due on a compulsive over reader. You know it. it. Says, now and then a serious drinker being dry at the moment says, I don't miss it at all. Feel better. Work better. Having a better time. As ex problem drinkers, we smile at such a Sally. We know our friend is like a boy whistling in the art to keep up his spirits. He fools himself. Inwardly, he would give anything to take half a drink. Half a dozen drinks and get away with them. He will presently try to try the old game again, for he isn't happy about his sobriety. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. Then he will know loneliness such as if you do. He will be at the jumping off place he will wish for an for the end. Wow, this really um, speaks to me, you know, because it it talks about, you know, the serious drinker, the one that, you know, has the mental obsession of thinking, you know, I can do this, I can take control, I can, um, I'm feeling better, you know, uh, I'm not going to miss it, I'm having a better time. And then, you know, and then, you know, when when an ex problem drinker looks at a person that's just coming in and, you know, they've been uh absent for a few days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months and they, they get that confidence of you know uh of I'm I'm doing better, I'm feeling better and I can do this now, um, we laugh. You know, we 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 think, wow, you know, um it it's only a matter of time when when people think that they got this. You know, because inwardly, inwardly, we know what goes on. You know, unless unless this unless this disease is addressed, um, you know, which is a twofold disease, uh, mental uh, an obsession of of the mind and a physical allergy. Unless those two things are are addressed, um, they're not going to recover from this. You know. and what I like to refer to is um, page 30 where it says, most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily or mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, and this is the key here, the idea that somehow, someday, he will he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession the mental obsession of every abnormal drinker the persist of this is this illusion is astonishing and many pursue it into the case of insanity or death and that's what it's speaking about here you know that unless this person is able to go through this process and get to the other side um they're going to continue with this persistent thought. And, you know, the only way is to be able to fully concede in our innermost selves that we are alcoholics and then, um, you know, destroy that delusion, smash it to pieces. Um, And, you know, it takes work. It takes going through this process of going through the 12 steps um, in order to get to that point. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Duv. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Sylvia. Okay, I heard Sylvia and Kim. We'll go in that order. Good morning, Sylvia.
4: Good morning, Kathy. This is Sylvia, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in upstate New York. And um, with with this passage, what it reminded me of is um, when I came into program, and I've seen so many um, sponsors when we come into program, and we get that thing that's called the pink cloud that, uh, and I didn't know what it was, but basically, you know, I, I got abstinent. And um, and so uh, I think that, that that is my way to hopefulness. That That's it. You know, I, I can do this. And it talks about, um, so this is the hopelessness right before that. And so we get in and we get the... Uh, we get that pink cloud going and we think we've got it. And the thing, just the only thing that I wanted to share this morning about it is that I had heard at the retreat that we were at over the weekend is that um, when we put the food down, when we get abstinent, we are on a race to do the steps to be able, but we're on a race against our mind. I'm not saying it very eloquently, but when we put the food down, we are then on a race with our mind to get the steps down so that we aren't in this hopeless stage. And I just loved hearing that because that has been my experience, that race, because otherwise we can't stay abstinence. And so I guess I've jumped a, l- a little ahead in the thought because this is the hopelessness, which I was at this hopelessness. I couldn't imagine continuing to eat and I couldn't imagine not continuing to eat. So I exactly uh, remember that stage. And with that, I
0: passed. Thank you, Sylvia. Kim?
4: Good morning,
5: Kathy. Good morning, Good morning. my friend. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Inwardly, he would give anything, anything, to take a half a dozen drinks and get away with them. He will presently try the old game again, for he isn't happy about his sobriety. You know, we read yesterday about how other people experience food, and we want to be able to do that. then we read about how we experience food. So we say, well, if that's the problem, then all I have to do is get abstinent. And we feel better. We do feel better in the beginning because we're sleeping better, our mind's a little bit clearer. You know, people aren't, you know, it's not that, that like warbly kind of feeling anymore. But the fact is, abstinence will make us feel better. It's going to make us feel anger better. It's going to make us feel depression better. You know, and being abstinent all day long, that is a long day. I mean, you're telling me I have to be abstinent in the morning and abstinent in the afternoon and abstinent at night? The fact was that food wasn't my problem. Life was my problem and the only solution that I knew, the only solution that I knew was the food because food was my anesthesia. Food helped me feel nothing. And towards the end, that was the best that I could do. The best that I could do was to eat and feel oblivion. So when we tell people put the food down, you'll feel better. I mean, that's what's going to happen to them. They're going to be sitting there. Well, hey, maybe I can get away with it. Maybe I can get away with it. Because what is the trick? The trick here is here he isn't happy about his sobriety. So how are we going to get happy about being accident? And as was explained, this is a twofold illness. I have the allergy of the body, and absolutely that is arrested when I put the food down. But just putting the food down and treating compulsive overeating is like putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. It's not sufficient. To treat the larger aspect of our disease, we have to do the steps. We're forced. If we have this twofold illness, putting down the food is going to leave us vulnerable to the largest aspect of our disease. And what is going to happen? We're going to get to that point where we're unable to imagine life with alcohol or without it. Then we will know loneliness, as we do, and that will be the jumping off place. And often what I find is the people that are most desperate are not the people that are in the, in the food, but the people who put the food down and think that's their solution and they come to me terrified. Terrified because they're thinking the solution is accident. And they're more restless, they're irritable, they're discontent, they can't even stand being in their own skin. So we're being reminded here, once again, that abstinence isn't the answer. The reason we come to a 12-step program, ironically enough, is because we have to work the 12 steps
0: in order to get happy about being sober. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Nancy. I'd like to share. Okay, great. Go ahead. Here in Colorado. I'm sorry. Uh, that was Nancy. And who was that? Who's Sharon. Sharon. Okay. Nancy and then Sharon. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy. Good morning, everybody. It's Nancy in
6: Idaho. Um, great for Recovering composable Reader. Uh, you know, I what this um, paragraph reminded me of was You know, the hands down, the fact that food is but a symptom. You know, I spent years in the rooms abstinent but not happy. And I just, you know, I didn't even realize it at the time. Honestly, I didn't. And I am being taken through the steps now in a way that is just opening my eyes to so many things, so many words and phrases and lines in the big book that are clear-cut instructions and explanations that I just skimmed over before. Um, And... You know, not because I was trying to just avoid the issues, just because I didn't know. I mean, I, it, you know, I love that phrase, I didn't know that I didn't know, and I couldn't see that I couldn't see. I mean, it's just so true for me. And this was one of the things, and there's a difference I hear in the rooms of people when they share. There's people that share with passion and conviction in their voice, and you know, wow, when they say something, I'm just like going, man, I want what she has or he has. And then there's others that share, and I'm like, whoa. Um, And I'm not being judgmental. I'm just, I can tell. And I know today that the difference is in how they work the steps if they went through the big book. Because, you know, we're promised in the big book if we do it, if we follow the instructions in the big book, we will recover. And that, it means that we will have found a power greater than ourselves that can relieve our obsession. And that's what's happening to me this time going through the steps. I am just amazed. And I, you know, I don't have the bad moments always raging through my life. I don't have, I'm not prey to misery and depression. I am happy. And, um, you know, yeah, life still happens. Bad stuff still happens in my life. I get stressed, I get afraid. But the difference is today how I respond to it. So, you know, we do have that stuff come up. We do have negative feelings, but we know how to, what to do with them when they arise. And um, for me, it's, you know, the true happiness has come By finding that power, which is the whole purpose of the steps is to enable me to find a power greater than myself. And so since I am now doing that and have now connected with that power, I know what true happiness is. I know what it means, not just to be abstinent, but to be happy about being abstinent and living in recovery. And I wouldn't want to live any other way. I truly would choose this hands down. Even on my worst day abstinent, I wouldn't choose to go back to... um, the binging and the, and the hell that goes along with, um, with the disease. So, um, thank you for letting me share, and I'll pass with that.
0: Thank you, Nancy. Sharon?
7: Thank you, Kathy. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, I can.
7: Okay. I can. Thank you. And hello to everyone out on the line, and thank you, Kathy, for your service. Um, I just wanted to uh, pick up on this line here because I can uh, identify with where I was at when I started listening to this meeting in July of 2012. Um, He is not happy about his sobriety. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. Then he will know loneliness such as few do and that was where i was uh when i started listening to this meeting two years ago and i am one of those that have been in and out of the rooms and have had abstinence and have not had abstinence and have um, walked out walked out completely as well uh but again it was that progressive illness and that belief that somehow some way i would be able to manage manage this food and um I called someone who is on this line uh, who I have great respect for uh, and and who knew me when she lived here in Denver, and she reminded me of something that, um, you know, I had shared with her a long time ago about this food addiction of mine, and so I am so grateful. I am so grateful that when I started listening, it was in the doctor's opinion, and And, um, you know, God just moved in my heart and my mind to see something that I had just totally blocked off, that hopeless state of mind and body. And uh, my biggest problem is a living problem, uh, learning how to live without being consumed with anger, restlessness, and dissatisfaction. And the steps that um, I have been privileged to go through are teaching me how far removed I was from that. And so I am just um, so grateful to be a part of this group, to be on this line. And, um, you know, I just, that's all I can say. I just, uh, it's like all those years and I I, um, I struggled. Um, but that's what brought me to this point that I'm at today and I'm uh, working on my nine, ninth step and I am so I'm so very grateful to everyone out here on the line because today I believe in my heart that I didn't have before that I can be recovered and that I can be stopped one day at a time, and that is such a gift, and it's available to all of us. And with that, I pass, Kathy. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much, Sharon. Is there anyone else, else to share on this paragraph?
8: This it's is Paula
0: Okay, I heard Paula and I think someone else. Who was the other person? Leah. Oh, great, Leah. Okay, Paula,
8: then Leah. Thank you, and thank you for your service, Kathy. You know, I wanted to go on the top of page 152. We know our friend is like a boy whistling in the dark to keep up his spirits. Can you just picture that? I, I love the way Bill writes. He writes like a painter. And you can see a boy whistling in the dark, like there's so much fear. Oh, should I take a step forward? Should I take a step back? Where should I go now? Whistling in the dark. And yet he's whistling. And maybe a happy tune. But the happiness doesn't extend, does it? doesn't go down to the depths. Because then it says he fools himself inwardly. You see, if there is no change inwardly, and it's only outwardly, whistling in the dark, he would give anything. He would give anything take a half a dozen drinks this is it always and get away with them as if we could he will presently try the old game again for he isn't happy about his sobriety and there it is and as was said before that happiness must extend it must extend inwardly to the very depths thank you for allowing me to share and with that I do pass
0: Thank you, Paula. Uh,
9: Leia, go ahead. Thank you so much, Kathy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leia. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Now and then a serious drinker being dry at the moment says, I don't miss it at all, feel better, work better, having a better time. Being dry. I mean, there were many, many times when, uh, you know, I didn't want to be obese anymore. I didn't want to feel depressed and miserable. I didn't want to have the problems I was having, hurt the people that I was hurting, uh, be sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so I would eliminate those substances that I knew were, was a problem for me. Um, you know, I I did that many many times. I would say, you know what? I've had enough. <laughs> I'm putting my foot down. No more. I'm through. Not going to binge anymore. That's it. Everybody's going to be happy now. And all of a sudden, I would change my mind. <laughs> and having that first compulsive bite it seemed like the best idea in a long, that I had in a long time. Um, and we all know the story once I would take that first bite uh, because I was just being dry. You know, abstinence is physical. It's merely physical. It's absolutely necessary prior to beginning uh, the embarkment of this spiritual journey. But abstinence alone, being dry alone, is not going to solve my problem because I have a spiritual problem. And I can't solve a spiritual problem with a physical solution. That was never uh, enough for someone like me. It goes on to say he will presently try the old game again for he isn't happy about his sobriety. Uh, You know, the big book teaches me in uh, We Agnostics, you know, There is a much greater problem that I have. Yes, I have an allergy of the body. Yes, I need to eliminate the substances that trigger me. Absolutely. But I've got a much, much worse problem than that. I have a mental problem. I have a mental problem. In the agnostics, it says, you know, leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. Why was I uncomfortable on this planet? What about those bedevilments? I had no tools for living. I had no tools for living. It says someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. What a painful place to be, you know, to be cornered like that. I know that double standard. I lived it for almost two decades of mayhem. If I don't binge, I'm going to die and that competed with if I continue binging, it's going to kill me. <laughs> I was cornered, but through enough suffering and through enough pain and through enough degradation that broke me down, uh, you know, I was able to die before I was born again through this program. You know, every breakdown is an opportunity for a breakthrough. And that's exactly what happened. The 12 steps are designed for living. They are a set of principles that taught me, me, a human being, how I should live. And if I can live by those principles, I will be peaceful and content. I will be happy with my lot. And I will be free from the things that used to enslave me and make my life miserable. You know, pain was the great greatest motivator for someone like me, a real compulsive overeater like me. And with that, I pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Leia. Okay, let's move on to the next paragraph, and I'm going to ask Julie to read it for us.
6: Hi, this is Julie, a recovered compulsive overeater in California. We have shown how we got out from under. You say, yes, I'm willing, but I am I to be consigned to a life where I shall be stupid Boring and glum, like some righteous people I see. I know I must get along without liquor, but how can I? Have you a sufficient substitute? Um, this paragraph, when I first read it, I kind of laughed because, you know, for me, when I would eat, it was like heroin. I mean, I could actually feel like this power, you know, warming my body because. I could be strong, I could be, you know, the the party person, I could just um, confront anyone, it didn't matter. You know, after a binge, I was very, very strong. And um, when I first got abstinent the first few times, I was boring. You know, even even when I um, had it for long periods of time, It was, I just kind of sat there. I I didn't want to engage with people. But, you know, the difference was I was just obstinate. You know, I was not recovered. And there's something on page um, 16 of Bill's story. He says, there is a vast amount of fun about it all. I suppose some would be shocked at our seeming wordliness and levity, but just underneath there is deadly earnestness. Um. And then when it talks about what happens to you when you have a spiritual experience, you know, we're, we're totally different people. We, we don't act like we did. We don't think like we did. Um, and today, I mean, you know, I'm coming up on a year a of physical abstinence. But what I have gotten, the freedom spiritually and um, mentally, is without measure I mean I can I went to a party Sunday and there was so much alcohol and food flowing but I didn't even look at that I was there for the people my friends I was laughing I was telling jokes uh, I'm always up I, I started a new job and I've had probably about 12 people come up to me in the last two weeks are you always this happy you know you're always smiling you have a bounce in your step and I thought about that and when I read this paragraph last night when I found out what page it was, I, I'm not glum. I am not boring. I am probably more fun than I've ever been in my entire life. And I don't drink alcohol because of sugar. Uh, I, I, I weigh and measure my food. Um, it keeps me alive. And life is exciting more than it ever has been. And I'm 54 years old and I am just learning how to live. So yeah, the substitute, is God's higher power for me, my creator. Um, it's doing a review at the end of each night to see you know, what I need to, to work on the next day. It's seeking God before I make a decision. It's calling my sponsor. It's um, reading this book. It's it, This book is now alive for me. I, I think Nancy said something before. I mean, I've read this book so many times. I had about seven big books, but I never, never, never was in tune with it. So yeah, my sufficient substitute is my Creator, and I am definitely not stupid. I'm definitely not boring, and I am not glum. And I don't um, try to convert people. I just, when somebody asks me, you know, how I lost weight or what, what's gone on with you, you seem more calmer. I let them know. I don't go, you know, stand on a rooftop and say, "Come to OA." um I do let them know once I get to a certain point and I think that that would benefit them but anyway I'm excited that um you know I'm not in that category anymore but I sure was when I was binging and um 24/7 I was um I wasn't boring because I had to prove myself but yeah life is good now so thank you all back
0: Thank you Julie who else would like to share on this paragraph
10: this is Bella. Can I share?
0: Yes, go ahead, Bella.
10: Good morning. My name is Bella and I am a thankful recover, Compulsive Overeater. Thank you, Katie, for leading this meeting and thank you, everybody that is on the line. I like this paragraph and I want to talk about this sentence. I know I must get along without liquor, but how can I? Yes, before the program, it it's very scary to to think, even to live without food. Food for me was my friend, my comfort zone, my uh, relaxful thing, and it's very scary. So what? So now that I am in the program, I can live without food. It means that I will live without nobody. Nobody will be there to give me support, but yes, the food was an illusion. The food wasn't my good friend. The food wasn't my real comfort zone. It was a deny, and now that, thank God, thank God I am in the program, I know that my this disease, the compulsive overeater, is not only a physical; it's a physical disease, and it's also a spiritual, a spiritual problem. And when I am thinking, oh, I would, I would live without the food. Yes, it's scary, but I forget that the main thing in this program is to build a relationship with, with the, with in a spiritual path to build a connection with God and. Yes, when I am in connection with God, God is my friend. God is my partner. God is my self and secure in life. So, yes, I can live without the food because I want the truth. I want to live in honest. I want to feel the truth. Yes, the truth is that I don't want to be isolated anymore. I need company, and I need to feel the safe and secure, and only with God that I know that God is there for me, so then, yes, I can live without food. I don't need the food anymore. The food doesn't make me happy or calm anymore. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella.
0: Anyone else like to share on this paragraph?
5: This is Katie.
0: Okay, Katie and then Elaine. Thank you.
5: Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, yes, I'm willing, but I am I to be consigned to a life where I shall be stupid, boring, and glum? Um, you know, that was the last thing I wanted to be. I didn't want to be um, this, you know, uptight, uh, stark, raving Um, abstinent person, and I know what uh, worked for me was my sponsor just said, you know, just do this today, and I had been beaten enough that I no longer believed that I could figure this out on my own, so I was willing to do whatever she told me to do, and, you know, I would try to project, you know, how am I going to handle this event or that event or... Something in the future, and she always brought me back to today. And you know that's what I have to do in my life today. I can't, um, I can't project what how I'm going to do something way down the line. And when you know I'm working with newcomers, um, you know I just try to steer them into um, the here and now because you know we are just so plagued with dwelling on the past or uh, worrying about the future. And, you know, I am not a boring and glum person today. It, you know, when I would go on a diet, and that included when I would get abstinence, you know, um, in my first six years in OA, I would, you know, be trying to make the food that other people were having, you know, so I could have it, you know, just try to um, finagle the recipes and, and do all these things so that it was, you know, legal, it was okay. And you know, I don't do that today. I don't make everything in my life about the the food, about the event, the the event for me is not the food. And you know, I people don't notice as much whether I'm eating or not eating. And if they you know, if if they do notice that I brought my food, I just say, "Yeah, well, this is what I want to eat." You know, and People really could care less. I'm just amazed at how much people really are not that worried about my food and um so I'm just grateful that uh, we don't have to be um that we there is a way to get along without the food and to not miss it, and with that I'll pass. Thank you.:
0: Thank you, Katie.
5: Elaine. Hi, this is Elaine, uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. And thank you for your service, Kathy. Um, Am I to be consigned to a life where I shall be stupid, boring, and glum like some religious people I see? And I hate to admit the fact that I was a very religious person. And the thing that I need to add to that is not just... um, stupid, boring, and glum is 100 pounds overweight. I'm like the person who, uh, you know, when you meet them and uh, you're working with them that we read about in Chapter 12 and, you know, that, that knew a lot about spirituality. And somebody needed to come to me who didn't maybe know as much as I did and be able to share with me the things that you know, the hard truth that, well, maybe there's a place that you're not really applying it because clearly looking at you, uh, it, God is not doing for you what you can't do for yourself. And one of the most, pow- one thing I, I remember many times qualifying was that uh, it wasn't just food I was addicted to. I was addicted to comfort. I was addicted to ease and comfort. And um, I love the ease and comfort that I would get when I took a compulsive bite. And, um, and I thought that I needed that uh, again and again, every single day, no matter what situation came up, I needed that ease and comfort. And when I came into these rooms and was on a vision for you, the first time I ever heard that we get our ease and comfort from God. We don't need to go to food for that. And um, that, that was my lifeline. That set in me a sense of hope and willingness to uh, go to any lengths to find that solution from, um, from God. And I was willing to put down the food. I was willing to go through the steps. I was willing to make amends. I was willing to do what was needed in this program. And through that, I had a spiritual awakening. I had a spiritual experience. I was given what was needed for me to find and apply the things that I never found in years and years of religious study, in years and years of uh, sitting in, you know, church pews or whatever, in years and years of small groups, in years and years of talking with pastors and preachers and, you know, just people who I, that I gained an awful lot from but I didn't gain this. This was not anything I found um, anywhere else, but these rooms. And I am so grateful that no matter where I am, no matter what time of day it is, no matter what kind of circumstances it is, no matter who I'm around, I can find, I can tap into a sense of ease and comfort from my higher power that uh, it's the, that's the solution for me, that... Um, there, there's a solution. And I'm so grateful for these rooms. I'm so grateful that I found it. And um, thank you, everybody, that I passed.
0: Thank you, Elaine. Um, I'd like to take an opportunity to share. This is Kathy Kay. I'm a compulsive overeater, recovered. Um, I know I must get along without liquor, but how can I? I've been in the rooms for almost 20 years and um Every time I broke my abstinence, my self-esteem got lower and lower, and I was convinced further that I was constitutionally incapable of getting this program. And, um, you know, I had much success in other areas of my life and continued failure with food, um, which was actually a real death threat to me being diabetic. Um, and uh, I don't know, uh, my lack of willingness was so strong, um, having spent the first 40 years of my life agnostic, that when I first heard about um, the role of one's higher power and God in uh, In our recovery, uh, I also heard uh, in the OA rooms, take what you want and leave the rest. And I was only able to stay in the rooms because I decided to leave the rest, um, which was developing a relationship with a higher power and developing spirituality. And I think the repeated failures I had with my food over the years um, was just my path. I had to get to a point where I was sufficiently hopeless um, that I could uh, become willing. It took me many, many years and uh, even years of reading the big book, Um, but I wasn't yet hopeless enough to really do the work required in order to become willing and in order to establish that relationship with my higher power. And I am so grateful today that um, I have walked through that hoop and I do have a relationship with my higher power now, which I do rely on all day, every day. Um, And when I... Have my uh, emotional and spiritual slips, um, I'm quite aware of it. I'm, I'm quite willing to uh, do a tenth step and figure out um, what I need to do, what action I need to take in order to stay on my spiritual being. I'm very, very grateful for that new capacity. What a gift. Thank you, Anaska. Does anyone else want to share
11: on this paragraph? My name is Chris. I'm a compulsive overeater in Virginia.
0: Go ahead, Chris. Hi. Good
11: morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Chris. I'm a compulsive eater from Virginia. And uh, I just wanted to thank everybody for being on the line. And I I just have a quick comment about the glum lot and being able to have that ease and comfort from God. Um, I have, as a result of taking the steps and being able to be in this chapter in the book, um, I have an obligation in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous to show people um, what it's like, and, um, and that means um, there's going to be some laughter and there's going to be some joy as a result of having that conscious contact with God. Um, when I, before I worked the steps, I was absolutely miserable. I was so intense. Everything was so serious all the time. And um, I had to learn um, through the steps as well as through the fellowship how to lighten up and how to relax. And this paragraph tells me, you know, we have a very serious disease, and, and the message that we hear every morning has that depth and weight that's needed. Um, and as a result of that, um, it's important for me when I'm in the rooms to smile, to lighten up, to be able to take an interest in other people when asked how they're doing. And, um, and I have learned to laugh. Um, this paragraph reminds me of, as a result of having that conscious contact with God, I can lighten up and I can laugh. And um, when I make outreach calls to other people from Vision for You, um, with my sponsor included, she's happy. She's fun. Um, she reminds me that not to not take myself so seriously. And, um, and I think it's important to let the newcomer that we can have fun in this program. We can learn to lighten up because that disease is no longer unclouded in my head, filled with those self-centered fears. I'm just so grateful um, for recovery, and I just wanted to add that with that glum lot lot recovery. If if, if I'm taking myself so serious and if I'm white-knuckling it, I've got a problem somewhere in those steps where it begins with me where I've got to look at myself and ask God to remove that Um, because God wants me to be happy, joyous, and free. And these steps are about unblocking and not being so obsessed with food and with myself so I can be helpful to other people. And then we are certainly not a glum lot on this Vision for You meeting. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Chris. Let's move on to the next paragraph. And I'd like to ask Devora to read for
12: us. Hi, this is Devora. Hi, everybody. Um, Yes, there is a substitute, and it is actually more than that. It is a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. There you will find relief and care, boredom and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Thus, we find the fellowship, and so will you. And um, so, I'm DeVara. I'm recovered in New Jersey, and thank you, God. who would think that I would find a substitute in my food addiction here in these rooms? I certainly did not. You know, I came into OA, um 14 years ago, and I wanted, you know, tell me how to lose the weight, and I'm out of here. You know, that's all I wanted. And I kept staying. Um, I kept coming back. Um, I was, it was drilled in my head, no matter what, just don't pick up the food, just don't pick up the food. And I did that for many, many years, and I lost a lot of weight, and I kept it off. I kept coming back. I worked the, I worked the um, steps in various ways, um, but you know what? I wasn't feeling that happy, choice, and free. Um, I was feeling, as the previous paragraph said, stupid, boring, and glum. I just didn't know how to live life on life's terms. I was filled with a lot of resentment. I was, I was constantly, you know, just was not. I was. not the pink cloud was gone, and I just didn't know how to move on. I didn't know how to live on life on life's terms. Um, and I was very honest with another person in program, and she said to me, It looks like you need to go through the book. You need to walk the big book, go through the big book, and watch the steps as it's laid out. And that really was very scary because I heard a lot of people who've done it, and it just seemed so big and so. Um, unsurmountable. I, I just couldn't think I could do it. And you know what? Every day I did it and I worked it and I'm here today to tell you that today I do have a substitute and my it's it, it is so freeing to be able to look at myself and to see what is where I am um selfish dishonest, honest, self seeking and fearful. Um, I was always able to point the finger at everyone else, and I was—I thought I was doing okay. I thought I was had it all together. But as I did the work, and I continued to do the work, I see you know, my part is, and life is not boring anymore, believe it or not, life is not boring anymore, um, because I'm constantly looking and developing a relationship with God. Um, my imagination has been fired, you know? I see so many things about myself learning um, and about myself and how I can um, grow spiritually um, and get better emotionally. Um, And, um, you know, I have a new lease on life today because of this fellowship. Um, And I am just so grateful that um, every day is an adventure. I have to say, every day is an adventure. It's not just about not eating and weighing and measuring my food and putting the food on the scale and no matter what, no matter what. Now my no matter what is looking to see how I can best serve God and be of service to him and to my fellows. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Devorah. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Me. Good
5: morning, everyone, again. I always love to point this out when I read this part of the book with someone. It says here, there, meaning Alcoholics Anonymous, you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. So let's look back about what we read yesterday in that first paragraph of 151. It says, yeah, for normal folks, drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination.
0: Uh, wait a minute, Kim, let me just ask, uh, I hear people who are unmuted, would you all please check and make sure you're muted, pressing star one. Thank you. Okay,
5: go ahead. Might, yeah, I think it might be Bella, actually, I think I recognize the voice. Um, it's, it says here, it means release from care, boredom, and worry. So normal folks can find release from care, boredom and worry in the food. And that's the delusion that has to be smashed for us. We're wired differently. We are a distinct entity. We cannot find release from care, boredom and worry in the food. But what the gift is, is we can find that in the fellowship and we can find that in the program of recovery. And where it says here, the most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Let me tell you, if you are on this line and you are new and you are terrified, or you are like me and have spent well over a decade in LA wondering if the best that I can do is put together a few months of abstinence only to go back to the food again, let me tell you, let me testify, let my whole deportment shout at you that there is a solution, that you can walk through these steps and you can be relieved of the obsession of, the, of food. You can be relieved of that obsession and life will have new meaning. My life today, is ten, twenty, thirty times better than it ever was even before I found OA. This did not just restore me to sanity and leave me off where I was before I became a compulsive overeater. These steps brought me to a way of living that is beyond my wildest dreams. And that's why I get come to tears almost with the fact that I am grateful I am a compulsive overeater. Because I think if I wasn't I would just be miserable with no reason to change. But because of having this compulsion, because of having this twofold illness, I was forced, absolutely forced to do these steps. But today, the most satisfactory years of my life lie ahead and I so believe that. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Kim. Uh, It is now time to bring the meeting to a close. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Paula, will you read A Vision for You, for us?
8: Thank you, Kathy, and I would. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask Him in your morning meditation what you can do